0: The current sort of market, which has been unkind to growth companies like Grove and many companies across the retail space, it is an amazing catalyst to bring out the best in us to create the bias for action that I talked about earlier, to make sure that we are coming to work every day to create the future now. And it's been really inspiring to see it show up in our financial results. You're listening to Retail
1: Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. For a long time, brands and retailers were laser focused on growth. So much so that they put other things like their values and even the customer experience at risk. But for Grove Collaborative, these things aren't mutually exclusive. Following a stellar Q3, the brand raised its guidance for fiscal 2022, and CEO Stuart Lennisberg provided insight into his long-term vision for value creation. He and I dig into this vision on today's episode, including the role of marketing efficiency, operational effectiveness, and why it's important to double down on what's happening behind the curtain, so to speak, so the customer experience doesn't fall short. Our conversation today provides a great glimpse into a sustainable brand that's growing like crazy and is remaining focused on the customer at every stage of the process. Stuart, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. It's great to have you on the show.
0: Great to be here. Thanks, Alicia.
1: So we're recording this episode a few days after Grove Collaborative's Q3 earnings. The positive takeaway being that the company has raised its guidance for fiscal 2022. What were some of the results or factors that encouraged this adjustment?
0: So, this was our second consecutive quarter where we raised our guidance for the full year. And I can talk about both the long term and the specific trends that are driving it. I think the long term trend that's really important for Grove and for everybody in the industry is that Grove is a sustainability focused cpg company and we've really grown and grown quite quickly over the last decade on the back of continued adoption by the mainstream consumer not just the sort of higher net worth coastal consumers that you might sort of stereotypically associate with sustainable products but we've grown by bringing sustainability and specifically zero plastic product to the mainstream and so what we're seeing is that even in a tighter economy resilience is really there for the best brands in sustainability. And so that's the, that's the high level trend that I think allowed us to continue putting up really good results. On a more specific level, I think there's two things that drove both top and bottom line success. On the top line, I think we've really done a nice job of improving our overall communication strategy to our consumers, and that includes both marketing efficiency and how we make sure that every customer understands exactly why it makes sense to move to plastic free to move to more sustainable products and if that's seeing our product on an end cap at target or cvs or if it's seeing a digital ad or if it's seeing an email or an app notification i think we've done a much better job than in the past of full funnel and that's allowed us to drive obviously better consumer engagement and then on the bottom line you know we've continued a really strong focus on gross margin management without taking too much price. I mean, I think we like many folks in the industry are thinking proactively about how can we how can we be deliberate in terms of managing price without passing too much on to our consumers. And I think we did a nice job of protecting our gross margins and operating the business more efficiently so that we could not just beat on the top line but also improve our EBITDA guidance as well.
1: Awesome. Definitely all points that stood out to me personally, kind of going through the earnings report and definitely areas that I want to dig into a little bit further. The one thing that really stood out to me, kind of going through this uh, announcement and prepping for this conversation, is that there was a lot of focus on long-term vision and what the big picture value creation plan is for Grove. Wondering if you can kind of provide a little bit of insight into what that value creation plan entails, largely because I think a lot of folks in the industry, the folks listening right now, for sure, they're kind of balancing those like short-term disruptions and issues that they have to respond quickly to, but also, you know, what's the big picture long-term for their business? So what what are some of the key things to call out for Groove?
0: This is exactly the right place to focus. And I think it's where the winners will really get decided over the next 12 to 18 months, because if we are able to continue our focus on innovation, then we will win in the long term, And we will create real value for consumers, for the environment, and of course for our shareholders. In Grove's case, to be more specific, I am 100% certain that if you look out five or 10 years, the two trends that have powered our business to here will be more important, right? Sustainability will be more important in five and 10 years than it is today. And internet-enabled commerce will be more important in five and 10 years than it is today and those are the two themes that that grove is overexposed to so if i know that how do i ensure that over the next several years anticipating an environment that might be more challenging that we're operating across all of the levers that allow us to drive business fundamentals produce bottom line improvement and strong margins over the next couple of years as we allow the long-term trends to play out. And so when we went public, we put out a four-pronged value creation plan, and we've been executing against those really sort of like since we went public. And I'll walk quickly through the four prongs, but really it's two prongs about how do we grow the top line and grow the top line efficiently, and two prongs about how do we improve the bottom line. And so the two top line prongs are improved marketing efficiency, and we did see in the quarter, but overall you can see the trend towards improved marketing efficiency overall. We're spending fewer dollars to acquire more customers than ever before, sort of the same levels of spend. And so we've found that we're able to focus more on our most efficient media channels. We have a really lovely partnership with Drew Barrymore, who's a great friend to me and to the brand and a great ambassador for sustainability. And of course, having the ability to sit on end cap across thousands of retail doors does grow brand awareness as well. So we've found that we've been able to improve marketing efficiency. At the same time, growth into Omnichannel has given us a second really synergistic leg of the stool. And so we have announced that we've more than doubled our door count year over year. Last year, we're this time, we were just coming off exclusivity with Target. This year, we're in more than double the number of doors at that time, having added over 2,000 this year. But we're just at the very tip of the iceberg there. And we've spent the last decade building up a really exceptional, I think, second to none brand of sustainable products that perform, that are beautifully designed, that are affordable to consumers, and where our retail partners are able to make a strong margin. And now it's about taking that brand out to more and more doors and growing capital efficiently there. So top line, improved marketing efficiency and omni-channel expansion. And then on the bottom line, it's a little bit more simple instituting net revenue management processes so that we're being deliberate about everything from how we buy to how we discount, and what we discount, making sure that we're discounting products consumers really value to drive the volume that we expect. And then we've also been disciplined in reducing operating expenses. And you know, this is obviously a topic that's been in the media a lot and one where there are, are very much two sides of the same coin where the human element of operating more efficiently often means fewer people in the organization, which Grove is a B Corp. I started the company about a decade ago and truly look at everybody with a grove.com email address as a friend. But we've also had to understand, and I think have been understanding how we run the business more efficiently than ever with fewer teammates. And I think we, like many companies who are taking seriously the need to get to profitability and drive improved profitability, are finding that this is one ingredient that's necessary in the soup. And so that's the fourth step of our value creation plan. And again, it's really about how do we drive top line and simultaneously improve, not just our bottom line as top line grows, but really improve bottom line margin so that we can get the business more and more profitable, more and more quickly.
1: That's great. And what really stands out to me too, is that, you know, you've brought up marketing efficiency quite a bit. I think a lot of brands are focusing on the return on their marketing efforts, what channels to use, how to optimize those investments. So that's going to be a big bulk of our conversation, I think. But first, I want to go back to your point around the doubling of your door count, expanding your wholesale partnerships. I know I personally see growth products in my local target, which you've you mentioned as a key partner. So I'm curious if you can share a little more, more insight into that wholesale strategy? Are you looking to expand into more doors of existing wholesale partners? Are you looking for new partners? Because we have a lot of brand leaders listening here that are looking at wholesale as a viable path to growth. And I think that they wanna make sure that they're doing it right, right? So do you have any input there?
0: I think it's a great question. So if you look at Grove as a business, we're uniquely well positioned because we have truly millions of online customers. And we built, Great brand awareness. And as I mentioned, millions of people who tried our brand and therefore trusted it. But of course, 90 plus percent of purchases in our category happen in retail. So the big opportunity for Grove is to continue expanding our retail presence. And of course, we're thrilled to grow it more than 100% year over year, but we are a long way from done. I First pitch of the first inning in our retail expansion. The opportunity there, you know, when I talk about our long term vision for double digit profitable growth, I mean, we should be able to achieve that just through the opportunity available to us in retail, right? It is massive, and the early results are exceptional. And I think the key to others, you know, at least in our experience, was retail, it often feels very easy. Oh, you go in, have a negotiation with a the retailer, they place a big order, mana falls from heaven. It's not that. We were really lucky to make a significant investment early on. That's everything from retail-ready packaging to a big team to the right software. We spent a million plus dollars building the right software accounting technical infrastructure to make sure that when we're working with a partner like Target or CVS or Harris Teeter, that every single order is delivered on time. There's no errors. We can track everything perfectly from an accounting perspective because it's quite easy for these partnerships to go badly. It turns out that sell in is about 5% of the battle. 95% is good execution with the retailer, building a great partnership, and ensuring great sell-through. And so I think retail, for those listening, at least my experience is that it, it can be a real siren song unless the brand is ready and the organization is ready to make what's a pretty significant commitment to growing the channel sustainably over the long term. And we've done that and it's paid off, so I'm obviously a believer, but my big learning was just how much and i suppose this is true for just about everything in life the opportunity is probably bigger than i imagined but the work to achieve it is probably harder than i imagined too and so i think it's a kudos to our team for understanding that early and making sure we were well prepared to tackle it oh
1: that's super helpful and i know honestly one of the earliest features i did for retail touch points when i started with the brand more than a decade ago was around retailer and brand collaboration and how sharing of data and insights and collaborating on a plan, like that was such an issue. So it's interesting to see some of these ever-present narratives or challenges that are, are still very much present in the retail industry. So it, it's great to hear how brands like Grove are tackling that and and what needs to be done from a processes and data sharing and collaboration standpoint. But I want to make sure we have enough time to really dig into some of the marketing components, which, again, you noted marketing efficiency, you mentioned, you know, full funnel strategy, all things that I've been hearing a a lot about over the past year. Uh, I'm curious, you know, as it relates to marketing efficiency and effectiveness, has your Martech stack played a role in all this or rethinking of processes, like what has supported this efficiency and, you know, overall better customer experience that you mentioned a little bit earlier? Because I know like a lot of brands are closely scrutinizing the tech stack, they're reconsidering where they're investing and what new tools are going to be implementing. So is there anything there that you can share, like how the two things are connected?
0: I think the two things are connected. And the third thing I would really add to the that- to the equation is what human beings are focused on counts an incredible amount. So we've updated our technology stack across marketing. And I think that's really helped us improve our targeting. It's one of the things that's key to driving down excess and wasteful promotion and making sure that we're using our promotion in the most effective way possible, because we want our consumers feeling like we are showing up with value for them. At the same time, we also need to make sure that we're managing our costs on the other side. So technology can really help solve problems like that. But the most interesting thing for me is empowering our leaders and giving them the correct context that right now we are making a consumer-first push to profitability. That simple guidance and that simple but clear context has helped our team make a lot of really, really strong decisions in terms of understanding What to prioritize, how we're going to grow basket, how we're going to grow gross margins, and how we're going to drive down promotional, I'll say promotional waste to make sure that we're over delivering for our consumer and over delivering for our shareholders. So, my experience over the last decade in this company has told me we've upgraded our tech stack, our marketing stack, gosh, four or five times. And the results this time are significantly better than any other. But I think it's just because the mood music is much different, right? It's a little bit more wartime than peacetime in a way that's that's quite valuable for saying, okay, we got to go really get some leverage out of the new tool. And so it's it's well-timed because the bias for action is so high, I think, across our organization right now. And I think when you look at our outperformance, it really is that combination of bias for action plus new capability can create step changes in performance. And so I don't want to act like it's not important to keep an eye on the martech stack but I think probably the team is the single most important element in my experience in driving marketing efficiency and driving revenue out of out of our customer base.
1: No, and I think that's a fair point too. I think there have been plenty of cases where brands think investing in a certain tool or app is kind of like the silver bullet, right? Like once we implement this, like all of our problems are going to be solved. But if you don't have the skills as well as the processes in place, you can't fully realize the value of that investment. So I, I very much agree that it's all kind of connected and that that skill component is really crucial. But I'm curious how Grove, you know, with this focus on Growth with this focus on long term. How are you collectively thinking about the balance of customer acquisition as well as retention? Because you mentioned in your last response, you know, growing basket size, improving margins, which is very much long view. How are you balancing these two things, especially after so much budget and, you know, time and effort has been spent for many brands on? new customer acquisition.
0: It's interesting. You say those things as though long view and short view are mutually exclusive. And I think this goes back to mentality. I think one of the biggest things we've done is shift the mentality across the company from these are things that we will do in the future to we will achieve these today. And I think that the ability to, there's a great saying, right, which is bad companies are destroyed by. The saying is crisis, but I think of it as transition or catalysts. And so the saying is bad companies are destroyed by crises, good companies survive them, great companies are improved by them. And like I said, remove crisis and put catalyst. The current sort of market, which has been unkind to growth companies like Grove and many companies across the retail space, it is an amazing catalyst to bring out the best in us, to create the bias for action that I talked about earlier, to make sure that we are coming to work every day to create the future now. And it's been really inspiring to see it show up in our financial results, because that means that we are taking the promise that we think we can make to consumers. Our vision is to be a positive force for human and environmental health. We're most known for home care, but the opportunity in other categories, pet wellness is a huge growth category for us, right? The opportunity to show up for our consumers in new categories is enhancing their lives and driving our business. And yes, it could take us two years, but we could also start on it tomorrow. And I think that's been been as powerful a change and as big a driver in our operating performance as anything across the MarTech stack or anything in the external environment. And so I suppose I don't buy into the notion that for key initiatives, short and long term should be at odds. Perhaps the ratio of time spent on long-term investments to time driving change today has to tilt a little more towards change today. But if the strategy is sound, then a lot of the changes we make today should be learnings that support the long-term strategy.
1: That's a really, really enlightening way, I think, to break it down because I think there's always a tug of war, right? Like of what do we focus on right now versus what's like long-term, what's the roadmap? But it's true, I mean, every immediate action impacts the long term right so it's it's like we talk about breaking down the silos between functions we almost need to break down the silos in our thinking and and how we how we think about the growth and the vision for the brand and how you go through all of these steps. So really appreciate that that explanation. So I do want to make sure we talk about channels a little bit. Obviously, a lot of our listeners are in marketing and customer experience, and there is no shortage of channels now, as you know, to reach the customer. And again, I keep going to your point earlier around full funnel experiences, more customer centric approaches to engagement and growth. So what has proven most efficient or most effective for growth? You know, I don't don't expect you to get into full-blown like specific campaign examples, but as you think about that full funnel experience, are there any particular channels that rise to the top as far as what has worked or proven successful?
0: I wish I had a silver bullet from a channel perspective. I wish I could say, hey, you know, SMS is the thing. And if you move into SMS, you'll see a 10% lift or something like that. That's too easy. <laughs> exactly. If, if it was that easy, right, then you know it wouldn't be any fun. And we, we probably would all have have to solve different problems with our jobs. So what we've really found is understanding who our customer is and the more time we invest there. And I know it's kind of a cheesy comment. The better we understand our customer, the better we're able to communicate. But I think all the channels that probably every astute brand is using, social, email, mobile app if you have one, we're light users of SMS, find that the sort of downside can sometimes outweigh the upside in that channel, in-app and on-site notifications, and then omni-channel if you can get it, combined with a really good top-of-funnel mix that's TV, paid social, we do some radio and podcast. we do a little bit of of out-of-home, right? The full gamut. We find that if we're consistent in our messaging, that that does, does provide real and measurable lift. And we do find that investing in channels that aren't ROI positive on day one does support the overall mix. So if you look at radio, for example, or podcast, you know those channels rarely have as strong a payback on a sort of pure last click LTV to CAC basis as something like paid social. But if we look at the overall mix, having those channels in the mix YouTube is similar to this for us, where having those channels in the mix drives the overall business because that top of funnel awareness is then captured other places. So I wish I had a silver bullet channel. I would say that consistency is probably the number one thing though, that unlocks unlocks improvement across all channels.
1: Yeah. And I think it's a good way to break it down. I'm I'm so glad you brought up podcasting and those more I guess contextual channels I guess is is a good way to think about it so like I listen to a podcast while I'm doing other things while I'm going for a walk you know while I'm doing some work I'm not like intently listening or like social media, I'm like scrolling through the feed, right? And I'm very much like present in that moment doing that action. But in a way, it's like the perfect way to introduce a brand. So if you get a few of those little breadcrumbs that are top level, you slowly get transitioned into those more intentional channels. Like I think that the big takeaway is that all of these things play together, and they all serve their own purpose. So anytime you're trying to just, you know, put a certain tactic in a box and say, like, this is going to solve all of our problems, that's kind of looking through things in in the short view versus the more holistic, you know, integrated view, which I think is a pretty common theme for our conversation today. So I think a lot of folks will be appreciate that.
0: It reminded me of something you said earlier about the balance of short term and long term. I do think Most brands have good equity, right? With someone. And so you cannot invest in top of funnel and just harvest that equity in bottom of funnel channels. And if all you're doing is spending on AdWords around your name, gosh, your paybacks will look incredible. But you're not planting any seeds for next season. And so I do think this is an area where we've been really deliberate. We're planting fewer seeds than we used to, but we need to make sure we continue to plant seeds because you know, to, to the earlier conversation, this is an incredible opportunity. Most people in most industries have stopped planting, have stopped investing in innovation, have stopped building brands. And in two to three years, innovation is going to be in vogue again, right? And these cycles of less is more, savings is key, et cetera, et cetera. They don't last forever in our category, People have moved from naturals to conventionals over the last year. And this happens in every downturn for a year, maybe two at the most. But over the long term, the most innovative brands are the consistent share takers. And so if we're long term focused, we need to not just get serious about delivering profitability for our shareholders this period, but we need to make sure we do so in a way that plants the seeds that will allow us to continue to win what we know is an inevitable transition of truly hundreds of billions of dollars over the next decade. And that's, that's sort of the balance. And so you're totally right in terms of how many seeds do you plant for the future? I do think it's fewer, it's fewer than we've planted in the past, but we're definitely making sure to plant the most important ones and hold that as a P zero initiative, right along with all the things that show up in our P and L this quarter.
1: It's been really interesting to hear brand come up more and more. And I and I don't know what the reasoning is behind that. Like, is it because like we've been focusing so much on performance marketing and like hacks and like getting big impact in, you know, a short period of time. But I'm hearing more and more marketing experts, marketing practitioners say like we're emphasizing brand building, and we're emphasizing brand equity. So it's really interesting to hear that coming from from you at, at the C-level perspective, since that is going to be really integrated into your vision or, or your path for the future. But I guess to a related point, I do want to make sure we, we talk about an increase that Grove has seen in net revenue per order? Because I think all of this is connected, right? Like if you build a really great brand, if you drive people in, that's the stepping stone to loyalty, right? So D2C net revenue per order was $60.63. Is that right? in Q3 up 7% year over year. So are these things connected? Like what investments have you made in terms of brand experience, brand building, loyalty creation that could possibly contribute to this increase? Or is there other stuff that maybe I'm missing out on?
0: I mean, you got it exactly right. And so this is a little bit on a T is brand one of the things that drives basket expansion and share expansion? The answer is yes, of course, right? And so when we talk to our customers, fundamentally they trust Grove, And what a privilege that is to have our customers trust. You know, I pause here because it is important that I don't think about our customers' trust as an asset to be monetized that we have to make sure as an organization, we treat it as a privilege to be valued and upheld. Because if we break that customer trust, I mean, there's nothing. But as you know well, the best brands that have consumer trust are the most durable. And in periods where consumers' finances are tight, they're also the ones that tend to take share. And so the growth in basket size for us in the period was almost 100% driven by change in uh, units per order. There's very, very little price in that basket size growth, which is a testament to our ability to win in new categories. And we intend to continue to do that. You know, I mentioned earlier that so many folks know us for our market leadership in zero plastic home, but in personal care and wellness and a lot of other categories, there are huge opportunities bigger than in cleaning. And we are just scratching the surface. And so while our average order value, I suppose this quarter was 60 bucks, you know, we see opportunity to, we deliberately disclose that 15% of our consumers are spending a hundred dollars in order because we think that's, that's very achievable based on the number of categories we can serve our consumers in and the trust that we know our consumers have for us. So, you know, it's a combination of building a brand that stands for more than just one thing that can ladder up to a higher level emotion like trust, and then really good execution to make sure that every time we put a product in front of the consumer, sure, it's driving our financials, but also is it a good outcome for him or her or them when they make a decision to buy it? And so I do think it's, it's that combination of brand and brand trust, which I agree for what it's worth is more important now than ever, right? If you don't have a brand now, you won't matter, right? The products on the margin are going away. So I think brand is more important than ever, and then executing on it in a way that is faithful to our mission to our consumers, because customers are smart and they know when when companies do things that are transparently bottom line oriented and not in their best interest. So I suppose that's a long answer, but in short, I yes, I am a totally a believer that brand matters and probably matters more now than ever.
1: Well, and I think it really resonates because there is so much conversation around. The economic issues that are happening now and the impact of inflation and how does this connect to how consumers define value and the brands they use. And, you know, it it seems like it ties back to the value that consumers are ultimately getting. But I'm curious, from your standpoint, just given, you know, the results that you've seen, the emphasis on building a trustworthy and equitable brand, are these pressures kind of showing up in Grove's world and is it impacting the end customer at all? It seems like the value and the emphasis on efficiency and you know operational effectiveness it seems like things are happening behind the curtain so to speak but i'd love your take on like how you're navigating some of these pressures right now and you know what actions you're taking so there isn't an impact on the customer right now
0: i think you've got it exactly right we need to start by taking actions so that there isn't an impact on the customer before we raise prices we always have to look at our own supply chain and candidly, every single piece on the Grove side and say, what costs can we mitigate rather than pass on to our consumers? And so we've had a bigger effort in procurement than ever before. We've had a bigger effort in understanding how to manage our production costs, understanding how to manage our labor and logistics costs, because we've got a lot of product moving around the world. And even though our hyper-concentrated all-purpose cleaner is much smaller than, uh, than if you were buying a conventional version, it still has cost. And so we've done a lot of work on making our own operations more efficient. And I think this is the second piece of that is understanding with consumers how we can be transparent about where and why we're taking price so that you can build that trust. You know, we did raise prices a little bit earlier this year, and we were incredibly transparent about it and i think we sent an email to i don't know 5 million consumers or something like that and we had you know a few hundred responses and most of them were quite kind appreciative appreciative of the transparency and so you know that's an area where i think a lot of brands are losing trust you know, shrinking their packaging shrinking the amount of product lowering the quality of the product i mean all of these things are things that erode consumer trust over time and we've been really deliberate in saying we want to be as transparent as possible with the consumer so that they will have a long-term relationship with us. Because like I said earlier, if we ever lose that consumer trust, you know, shame on us because it's such a privilege and it's such an opportunity to have that have that relationship with our consumer.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that that notion of transparency and just having an open conversation with your consumer definitely resonates. I mean, everybody is a consumer at the end of the day, right? Like we see the changes that are happening. We see the measures that brands are taking. So if you can get ahead of that or at least have an open conversation about it, I think personally that it it makes an impact. But as far as the other investments or priorities that Grove has as a brand. I mean, we mentioned earlier, you know, you are a sustainable brand, like that is core to your brand values, your priorities. So is this impacting at all? Like what is next for the brand, especially as it relates to sustainability? Because I know there are other brands that we've been tracking, obviously, this isn't core to their value. So that's probably why, like, they're putting other issues on the back burner as a result of economic pressure. And, you know, maybe sustainability was important a few quarters back or a year ago, but maybe now they're they're slowing things down a little bit. That's not in the cards for you, is it? Or how are you thinking about sustainability as a brand and how you're investing in it?
0: This goes to the point that this is such an opportunity. Climate crisis is not getting better. The proliferation of single-use plastic waste in our rivers and oceans, you know, there's plastic waste in the deepest part of the ocean, in virgin snow in Antarctica, and in like a fetus's blood. It's incredible, plastic is everywhere. And that problem is going to get worse, not better. And so other companies choosing to ignore the problem just creates an opportunity because consumers do care about these things and they will care about them even more in the future. And so I think that any, any move to sacrifice leadership progress on sustainability, it may save you a, a little bit of money in the short term, but it is long-term foolish. And that is exactly the mentality that creates opportunity for brands like us because we have that long-term focus built in that allows us to invest across cycles and really drive innovation that's not just sustainable, right? Because talking about sustainability and making big dollar investments in it, that's all fine. But really what moves the needle is true innovation. And so from a sustainability perspective, we're not just not backing off. We're continuing to put out more zero plastic innovation, more zero waste innovation, more ways where we can have better impact across categories than ever before. And so I think that this is an incredible opportunity for us and for others who are sustainability oriented to make sure that we don't drop the flag. And so no, I mean we're not we're not backing down from our commitment to sustainability. If anything it's a it feels like an incredible opportunity if the rest of the industry own goals by saying hey, you know, for the next couple of years we're going to ignore the elephant in the room that our our industry is, is in a literal, unsustainable place with regards to the future of the planet.
1: Got it. Love to hear that. So with that, Stuart, I mean, I feel like we, we've covered a lot of ground today, but I always like to close out these conversations, especially as it relates to performance, outcomes, and, and of course, future goals. Like, how the learnings are impacting your forward plans or your go-forward strategies. So two-pronged question, I guess, for you to close us out. What were some of the key learnings for you over the past year as CEO of a very values-driven, sustainability-oriented brand that is also growing? And how is this driving or dictating your priorities over the next year? Like, what should we be on the lookout for?
0: So... My biggest learning from the last year was just how valuable it is to have a child's mind. I have found that my leadership team and really across the company and I have had more success in approaching problems, even if we've approached them before, with a blank sheet of paper, a clear mind, an openness to outside perspectives that maybe we had not considered in the past. And so I've really seen that in times of change, that willingness to listen is even more valuable than ever before. I think that is one of the things that will allow us to succeed as an organization in the long term. We're not stubborn. We're stubborn on the, I should say, we're stubborn on the vision, but we're quite flexible in terms of how we operate. And I think you know, talking about the change in the mood music, the change in the way people are thinking, a lot of that is really impactful and a lot of that is the direct result of listening hard to people on the team and people outside the company and changing a little bit of the way we do business, not changing who we are, but changing how we show up and drive value for our customers and our shareholders. And from a go forward perspective, I think, and this may sound counterintuitive, you know we're really excited about the results of the last couple of quarters. And candidly, I am probably aiming higher in the future than I ever have in the past because the last few quarters, and candidly the last year or so, has shown me that more is possible than I previously believed. And so I can't unknow that. And so look, I've been accused of being an optimist in the past, but I, I get really excited when I think about what the team is capable of and the opportunity in front of us, especially as I think a lot of other folks are gonna be on their heels playing defense. If we can find ways to play offense, gosh, that's the opportunity that is, you may not get too many of them in, in, across a career. So I'm feeling very excited about what's up next for us and then probably more ambitious than ever because of what I've learned over the last year.
1: That's great. Yeah, it's always good to hear stories of brands that are are looking at the future through that lens. And do you think that there is room to be more aggressive and take more of those moonshots, so to speak? But Stu, this has been so insightful. A lot of great learnings and takeaways, I think, around what's going on at Grove, what's to come, and how you personally as CEO are thinking about all of the moving pieces that are impacting the industry right now. So thank you again so much for uh, taking the time out to chat with me. Really appreciate it.
0: Such a pleasure, Alicia. Thank you for having me and uh, have a great one.
1: And to all of you, if you have any follow-up questions for Stewart about growth collaborative or any of the fascinating topics we talked about today, we would love to keep the conversation going. Look out for those follow-up questions on Twitter at rtouchpoints or on LinkedIn at retail touchpoints. It's a very interesting time, I think, for CPG seeing all of the innovations that brands have been embarking upon to differentiate, better collaborate with retail partners, and of course, better resonate with consumers. It's definitely a topic, I think, that everyone in the industry can learn from. And of course, if you have any feedback for us on this episode or the series as a whole, we would love to hear from you. Drop us a line on on your preferred podcast player. We are on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, frankly, anywhere else, we are likely there. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe. We have new episodes coming to you weekly. So when you subscribe, you will get those new conversations as soon as they drop. But that's it for now, everyone. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.